As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Toby Football Show, European edition today. All the big stories from around the continent. Barca win 2-0 but have problems with the 5-0. Inter black and blue and in the red. The mess that Mesut's walked into in Turkey. And gross point blanks see Shakobos chopped. Plus, Europa League draw and much more in this Toby Football Show European edition in association with Paddy Bauer. Listener, thanks for joining us. March the 2nd, I make it. It's Totally Football Show European Edition. James Horncastle's here. Hey, James. Hello, Jimbo. Also with us, Julian Lawrence. Hi, James. <laughs> Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. And also, Alvaro Romeo. Hola, James. Hola to you, Alvaro. Poof, we got a lot to talk about today. It's a rhetorical question. We do. There's big things on the field and pretty huge stories off it as well. Of course, we're going to start with our moments of the weekend. I wonder what you're going to go with, Alvaro Romeo. Well, it has to be what happened on Monday. Uh, Forget about what happened on the pitch during the weekend. I mean, on Monday morning, uh, officers from the regional police in Barcelona, they arrived at Barcelona premises because they are investigating Barsagate. And they arrested as well a few members of the previous uh, Barcelona board, including Josep Maria Bartomeu, uh, the guy who was the president of Barcelona up until October, as far as I can remember. So yes, it's been a a huge turmoil at Barcelona on Mm. Monday morning. Is he actually in jail at the moment? We're recording this on Monday, kind of early afternoon. Is he actually in stir? Uh, He is uh, in custody. uh, From uh, what I could... uh, gather today, uh, he will probably sleep at his place on Monday right. evening. So it shouldn't be like one of those incarcerations that uh, take you there for a few days. 
Not wearing the county blues or anything. Right, <laughs> exactly. okay. Julien. It has to be the Olympico on Sunday night between uh, Marseille and Lyon because Lyon are in the big title race and they dropped two points, which could be costly at some point. But Marseille, since the last time we did the show, so many things have happened. They, they finally got rid of their president, uh, Jacques-Henri Hero, who you remember was a complete walking disaster. Uh, and Pablo Longoria, one of the youngest presidents in the big five leagues, who is a very respected scout and sporting director who did really well in Italy, with Sassuolo and Atalanta in Spain, of course, where he's from, especially with Valencia, and who arrived as a sporting director for Marseille and now he's the president. So good luck to him. And Jorge Sampaoli is obviously arriving uh, today in Marseille. Oh, so he wasn't in charge for this one? No, not this one. I see. James? Where to start, Jimbo? I mean, I feel because we've got Julien Laurence on the on the call that we should start with Sinisa Mihailovic's off-white Air Jordans that he was wearing. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> on the sidelines for Bologna's cool win against Lazio. But where else? I mean, Inter. Um, I, I would I would say maybe both Milan clubs. You know, uh, they're leaving everyone else behind. Right. Everything going very well, apart uh, from the bankruptcy. Inter on the pitch, apart from the fact that there was this story out of China at the weekend about uh, Suning winding right. up their operations with yeah, uh, I mean, with Jiangsu. A little bit more than just a story out of China, but we'll we'll come to that in a second. Rafa. Well, I don't know if it was a big moment, but certainly the big story, James, of the weekend was Schalke firing not just their manager, but also four officials in his wake on Sunday morning. Christian Gross gone, team manager gone, head of performance gone, sporting director gone, and am I missing one? Assistant coach also gone. Right. Um, radical, um, a radical move which is not going to save Schalke from the drop because they are still only on nine points after 23 games, but perhaps paves the path to a happier rebuilding process in what will be the Bundesliga 2 next season. Okay, much more on that story and all the other ones to come. We're going to begin, though, with Barca Gate. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shot bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Alvaro, Barca Gate. I knew this story was big, but it's got a gate on it now. So that's huge. What's happened? A new, a new gate. Uh, yeah, it all happened on Monday morning, really. Uh, another day of shame for Barcelona. Uh, officers from the police force, uh, it's called Morsos de Squadra, in the Department of Economic Offences Unit, uh, they arrived at the club premises on Monday uh, to carry out a search and seize uh, operation at Barcelona. And this operation is related to last year's Barça Gate. Uh, the arrival of the police uh, is related as well to a private platform that back in summer um, claimed fraudulent administration and private corruption at Barcelona. Uh, for example, paying that company i3 Ventures an exuberant sum for their work. So, yeah, as you remember, the club hired that company to do negative propaganda of the players and to launder the board's public image. And yes, uh, the police right now is investigating right uh, Exactly that, and that's why they had to go to Barcelona premises to look for archives, to look, look for papers, and uh, you know all the paperwork and all the digital work that Barcelona had there that could be related to this Barça gate. Uh, the police needs it. 
Mm, i3 Ventures, who were hired at apparently six times the market rate to run negative hmm. stories against the likes of Lionel Messi and Jared Pique, as well as Bertomeo's uh, political rivals. Is this... Is this one of those check back in two years when the case has actually come to nothing because of the statute of limitations or whatever and everyone's forgotten about it type things, Alvaro? Or is this actual trouble? I think that this is actual trouble for the previous board. Uh, and it's going very quickly, really, because it started a year ago. Uh, don't forget that uh, we have had the time of pandemic. Uh, then the board left. Uh, now this has been investigated. And, uh, you know, uh, I've seen investigations that took longer. Uh, this one is going fairly quickly. And uh, actually, you know, uh, four former Barcelona uh, board members, they are already in custody. One of them being uh, Josep Maria Bartomeu, the other one, uh, the former CEO, Oscar Grau. So important people in there. They, they have to obviously talk to the police uh, on Monday, Monday evening. So yeah, I think that this is going quite quickly. And let's not forget that this happens in the co context of uh, elections of the club that will happen on Sunday. So Strangely, these elections, I think that they are going to be a great chance for Barcelona to move on as a club because whoever comes new is uh, not related at all uh, with the former board. Uh, only Tony Freixa, one of the candidates, is a little bit, a little bit uh, related to the to the previous board, but he's not going to win the elections. Probably it's going to be Joan Laporta, the former president who brought Ronaldinho at the club, who brought UNICEF as a sponsor, who appointed Pep Guardiola. Probably that man is going to be Barcelona's president. And yeah, it's a great chance uh, from Monday, the 8th of March onwards, to break with the past and to start a new era at Barcelona because it cannot get any worse. What happened in the last year uh, is just a damning indictment of how bad Barcelona has been in every possible level. But I would say that even if the team has been really bad and the results in Europe have been particularly calamitous, the club has been even worse. The club has been so bad that Barcelona has become a laughing stock uh, for the rest of world football. And uh, 10 years ago, this was different. Barcelona was uh, a model to follow for many football clubs. And in fact, Manchester City pretty much copied the Barcelona template at their club. Apart from the, the further blow to Barcelona's image, though, that this current case will, will bring, it's the former board, so it won't have any material impact on Barcelona, this court case. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't, uh, really, because uh, the club was them, basically. They, they were the ones hiring this company. They were using uh, the club's money. That's true. And uh, that's why they have been investigated. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they just left Bartomeu was the last one to leave in there. Uh, back in August, he still wanted to stay. He said that the problem of Barcelona was just a, a problem that uh, wasn't related to what happened against Bayern. Uh, he denied have it, having a, a structural problem as a club. And uh, at the end, he had to rethink all that. He resigned. So I think that, uh, yeah, uh, the club won't be necessarily that damaged because from uh, next Monday, a new president will be there with new people, new people in the board as well, and it's going to be a fresh start. So as I said before, this is a real shame for Barcelona. It's another very bad chapter for the directing board that already left, but the club is starting a new time from Monday. So yeah, I think that this is going to be pretty good and it's quite timely as well that this a change of direction in the club happens so quickly and uh, it's going to happen, yeah, as I said before, from the 8th of March onwards. Okay. Will the Barcelona elections be on CNN? Because I really miss that guy <laughs> who had that amazing screen. Maybe, like, he could do it. That would really kind of bring me in on my kind of afternoon, sort of, you know, need to, need to get up to date with who's getting the, uh, the presidency of Barcelona. Uh, that, that would be fantastic. 
Pretty good news on the pitch uh, this weekend. Barcelona beating a severe side who'd won their previous six straight games in La Liga. Barcelona is still five points behind Atletico Madrid. Barcelona, by the way, meeting Sevilla again this Wednesday in the Copa del Rey semi-finals. Sevilla 2-0 up from the first leg. In the Atletico Madrid win, Alvaro, Joao Felix scoring and then looking very upset with somebody. But who? Yeah, he, he said apparently well, people around Joao Felix uh, told the press that Joao Felix was making a gesture to Renan Lodi, um, the left back of Atletico de Madrid, because Lodi apparently was teasing him, telling him that he couldn't score because Joao Felix uh, had been... Uh, has had a really bad scoring run lately. Mm, you can believe that or not. It could what be do as you well. think, Alvaro? Well, what I think or not is a bit irrelevant, but uh, I find it difficult to believe, of course. Uh, okay. I, I do believe that uh, it's never a good idea to be in bad terms with your manager, uh, but at the same time, Simeone is not silly, and he knows that uh, the best uh, of Joao Felix comes when uh, the player is... Uh, happy and when the players have the confidence. So I don't think that this is going to be definitely something that uh, will affect Joao Felix in the future that much. It's just a, a gesture that he shouldn't have done. And yes, Atletico got a win and back to Barcelona. I think that uh, the win against Sevilla uh, left a couple of things clear there, uh, that maybe Sevilla, uh, for all the good start of the season they had, in some key games they've been uh, faltering. And uh, Barcelona, with a very simple 3-5-2 system uh, that we have barely seen at Barcelona, managed to dominate the game and they did a very good game. So I think that it was a good weekend for Barcelona. It was a very good weekend for Atletico de Madrid because they got back to winning ways. And it's still to be seen whether it will be a good weekend for Real Madrid because they have to play against Real Sociedad on Monday evening. OK. Also worth flagging up, uh, Betis Sevilla, who are under uh, Manuel Pellegrini these days, of course, up to sixth now. Crikey. Uh, next up, let's hit Syria and what I like to call Sunning Gate. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. James, our intergoing bust. <laughs> this this comes after Chinese Super League champions Zhang Su, who share an owner, Suning, with Inter, ceased operations. Suning have confirmed support for Inter, but James, what's happening? <laughs> well, it's very unpredictable um, because on the one hand, I remember back at the beginning of January when reports first came out that Inter were looking for investment, uh, there was a denial put out by Stephen Zhang, the president of the club, um, saying those reports were false. Uh, they turned out to be true. Um, you then had uh, yeah, sort of constant reiterations, particularly in the financial results, which were published at the end of February, um, that uh, Suning would support uh, Inter with or without external help uh, between now and the end of the season. Uh, but at the same time, this weekend, we saw Jiangsu Suning cease operations in China, the Chinese Super League champions, which 
were also owned by uh, Inter's benefactors who have significant kind of financial problems uh, in China. Um, so it's very difficult to uh, to get an exact read on what the intentions are uh, for Inter. Um, yeah, I think last week's financial results did include a paragraph in which they said it was prudent to continue um, their search for, for new equity, for new investment. Um, so far, you know, what we've learned is that BC Partners, a pri private equity firm based in, in London, they did have an exclusive period where they could uh, they could uh, do due diligence on Inter's accounts, um, but they couldn't come to a, a, an agreement, or at least they haven't yet been able to come to an agreement on price um, for the club. But um, this does seem, um, yeah, to be escalating. Uh, mm. I mean, in terms of. Uh, not a day goes by, uh, James, without a, a story involving Suning, um, their business interests, um, their football interests. Um, so, watch this space. We'll have a we'll have an article about this coming out this week. Okay, Suning own close to seventy percent of Inter. The club have debts of over two hundred million euros. The Chinese state, I think, have actually stepped into to push some liquidity into the ailing giants uh Suning that is not not the Nerazzurri but <laughs> in terms of a safety net for Inter if things were to go wrong for Suning and as I say they are getting investment from the Chinese state to, to kind of prop them up but if if they were to go spectacularly badly what kind of safety measures are there for Inter I don't know Pirelli stepping in or something like that well, it's difficult to say. They'd have to find uh, another buyer, James, um, and they'd have to come down on on the price uh, that they've set. I mean, I think it's around a billion euro valuation, which, um, considering they don't own a stadium, um, considering, as you say, um, yeah, their debt is actually bigger than the figure that you cited. It's it's closer to three hundred million, and that that debt um, is due to be called uh, in the next eighteen months. They would have to find someone else who could who could take over. I mean, yeah, some comparisons have been made with the situation at, uh, at Milan a couple of seasons ago, where um, their mysterious Chinese owner Li Yonghong defaulted on on the loans that he'd taken out from the hedge fund Elliot, and Elliot essentially repossessed the club. Um, but at this moment, you know, Inter's Inter. Uh, the money that they owe is 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 in bonds. It's collateral against the club, so um, they don't have someone who could essentially step in. I suppose. Um, so that's that that's an obvious concern, and uh, you know you have all these other things going on in the background, which potentially could destabilize the team's performance on the pitch. And you know one of the one of the ways that Inter can help uh, least ease some of their their problems financially is by winning on the pitch it's by getting into the champions league it's 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 by uh winning the league title you know activating bonuses in existing commercial and sponsorship contracts and that sort of thing um but really i mean the the, the focus has to be on either sooning finding uh more debt i suppose to help them um keep going and keep operating or it's to sell sell the stake in the club right Wow. Okay. Well, on field it is going swimmingly. Uh, the Nerazzurri remain four points clear of their rivals Milan after a three-nil win over Genoa this weekend. Milan, meantime, on Sunday night with two-one winners in Rome, while Juve in third place slipped again. One-one they were held at Verona. 
Juve now have Atalanta level with them on points. There is fairly strong chance they might miss out altogether on top four in this Champions League as it stands Juve uh, with uh, one of five teams within three points chasing two Champions League spots. You've got Juve and Atalanta on 46 points, Roma on 44 and then Napoli and Lazio a point behind them. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a very competitive uh, race for a spot in the in the top four uh, right now. I think um, uh, Milan's win at the weekend was really significant because they looked like they were wobbling. Um, you know, they they were winless in four games. Uh, they were pretty unconvincing against Red Star. They'd got uh, beaten three 0 in back to back league games against Spezia and, and against Inter. And I think, you know, Pioli deserves credit for, you know, quite a bold selection against Roma where he dropped his captain, Alessio Romagnoli, and it was it was overdue that he did that. Fika Yotomori had a really good game, um, I thought, against Roma. Um, but, you know, I, I think in terms of consistency uh, elsewhere, Roma are really good at beating the, the sides in the bottom half of the table, but they struggle against the teams that they're competing for a top four spot against. So they've just got to basically hope they can better the results of, of their of their rivals when it comes to uh, playing against teams scrapping against relegation or teams that have got nothing to play for. Um, Atalanta, even with this kind of Ilicic stuff going on, they seem to be able to to, to win games and, and uh, second half of the season tend to finish really strong. And uh, Lazio have got defensive problems, really, um, yeah, which which I think is, is, is a bit of a concern for them. So, I mean, look, on paper, Juventus um, should easily make top four. Um, it would be a big surprise. But, you know, once again, on Saturday, you saw their inability to kill games, but also their inability to really sort of dominate, um, uh, come back to haunt them because, you know, they conceded a late goal against a, a good, awkward Ver- Verona side and... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you on on that, James. I mean, there there are more more sort of uh, questions than answers about Juventus right now. Mm. All right, what's the Ilicic stuff this time? Well, Gasparini brought him on uh, against uh, Real Madrid and then took him off um, 25 minutes later. Um, and you know, because there are no fans, you could hear the exchange between them with Gasparini kind of getting a irritated seeing you know sort of Ilicic just throwing his hands up in the air he didn't think he was trying hard enough uh, when the team was down to 10 men um, and uh, you know after what we'd seen with with Papu Gomez um, you know back in December the Michelin game where Papu uh, disregarded uh, tactical instructions from Gasparini on the sidelines uh, and then you know Gasparini took it up with him at half time in the interval and they came to blows um, there is a sensitivity around uh, around this at Atalanta, and you know again you hear Gasparini saying, "Look, Josip's a great guy. He's he's had ups and downs throughout his career. You know he's he's always had uh, this reputation as being a bit of a mercurial player until he came to Atalanta to work under him. Um, but you know he won't be he won't be using him when he's maybe only." 75% fit or maybe not as focused as he should be which is what Gasparini I think thinks he did in the Real Madrid game so he didn't start the weekend he came on Gasparini was kind of keen to put it all behind them but you know I think it's been it's been pretty interesting over the last few weeks that you know the front three at Atlanta has evolved again because it's it's now very much Muriel Zapata when he's fit and healthy and, and Pessina mm. um, it's, it's changed from Ilicic, Zapata and Papu um, and yet they keep winning. And so the manager's authority is still very much intact. 
going to be a delicate second leg, though, away at the Bernabeu after that uh, 1-0 defeat last week in the Champions League. Uh, got a couple of other questions I want to ask you, if everyone can hang on. Can we hang on for a bit more City Our Chat? Jules, you in for a bit more City yeah. Our Chat? Let me throw out one that course, you might always. be interested in. Is Jordan Veretout the surprise of the season at Roma? He was very good last season as well. So I'm not sure if he's the surprise this year, but he's certainly playing at a level that maybe can get him a call-up for the national team. I just thought Aston Villa, he never really got the time because I think he has all the qualities to do well in, in England and in English football. But certainly at Fiorentina and now at Roma, he's being incredible. And I, I just love watching him play. He scored 10 goals already. I know he's on penalties, but still some of the goals that he scored, including the one against Milan, shows what a talented guy is. And I'm, I'm just glad that it's working out for him because, because the Aston Villa experience could have really sort of like stopped him in his stride and, and, and almost destroyed him. But yeah, he bounced back and did so well. First French player who isn't a striker to score 10 or more goals in the Serie A mm. season since Michel Platini. Yeah. And you could even consider Platini as a striker, to be fair. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Inter, meanwhile, slow start for them against Genoa, James. Yeah, I suppose you know in that um, yeah we did see the uh, the record broken this season uh, by their Cugini, their cousins Milan for the fastest goal scored. But yeah, uh, Lukaku, what twenty eight seconds? Um, Lukaku, who has uh, scored or assisted seven goals in his last three games. I mean, he's in 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 incredible form, and you know that partnership that he's got with Lautaro at it again. Um, here it's the most prolific partnership that they've had since uh, Angelillo and Firmani so you're going back into the kind of 50s and 60s and you know Genoa were unbeaten in seven games um, they had the best defence in 2021 I think Conte pointed out that um, yeah since since they came back from the winter break or since Balladini's been in charge um, Genoa have got more or less the same points only a point less than Inter have and Inter have been in really good form so it was uh, another emphatic win for them, which just goes to show when this team has kind of a whole week to prepare for games, <laughs> they're just uh, unplayable, uh, really, for, for the rest of City A at the moment. Um, curious to see both of the Genovese sides, um, Genoa and Sampdoria, lose because uh, we've got the derby, uh, the Debbie Lantern on Wednesday. Um, so I think both teams maybe had that in their minds. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of the midweek games, that's definitely going to be one to watch between uh, Genoa and Samp. As it stands, into four points clear then of Milan, who last Friday drew Man United in the Europa League. After this, why don't we have a quick chat about what awaits us in the last 16 of that most prestigious European Cup competition? Oh, mate, keep going. We're almost there. Oh, the legs have gone. Pressing is hard, the weather is so mentally fatigued. All right, lads, already on the way down, are you? How was your view from the top? <laughs> Liverpool might have peaked under Klopp, but at Paddy Power, if things aren't going your way, we'll give you your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min on 1 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, Europa League last 16 draw. Good, I'll be off then at this point. (laughs) Rafa, yep, get a book. Yep. Also, Jules, not going to need you for the next bit. That's okay. But there are no German sides, no French sides, but uh, there's Italian sides, 
Milan who've drawn Man United, Roma who are up against Shakhtar Donetsk, their manager Paolo Fonseca's former side. Three English teams, Spurs who've got Dinamo Zagreb, Arsenal who'll be up against Olympiacos for a change and Man United who've drawn AC Milan, also old friends. Rangers, of course, have got Slavia Prague, who put out Leicester last week. All right, what what most excites you about all this? Which tie do you think? Alvaro? Has to be Milan-Manchester United. There are so many memories of this fixture. I remember uh, Kaká in 2007. I remember the battle between Rooney and Ronaldinho in 2010, I believe. Back then in San Siro, when both were excellent. Rooney uh, scored the brace, I believe, in that game. And yeah, this is the second of Italy against the second of England. And in this Milan team uh, is uh, experiencing a rebirth. And uh, I want to see them play against a team like Manchester United, who... On the day, when they have their day, they are formidable to the point that uh, they can easily destroy Real Sociedad, beating them 4-0. If you let them run, if you let them play football, and if you give them spaces, they they can hurt you. Was Latin be involved, or has he got engagement presenting light entertainment somewhere, James? He's singing. <laughs> He's injured now, well, anyway. So. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the concern uh, about after Sunday's game was that all of their front three went off injured. Zlatan went off, Chalinolu went off, Rebic, who had a really good game, went off. Um, you know, that's a worry when, you know, the, 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 the fixture list is, is becoming even even more congested. Um, so we'll have to see, I mean, how how the injury that he picked up at the weekend, you know, he was icing his uh, his adductor, I think, how that's going to affect his performances at San Remo this week, James. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's 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 a worry. What, what chances do you give Milan against Man United? Well, Milan first half of the season, I'd give them a very good chance um, because I, I think they had confidence. I mean, what was impressive about them and this weekend for the first 15, 20 minutes, they pressed and they played at a, a kind of speed and tempo that I think they'll need to play at um, uh, against United. And I think, you know, part of that came from them being able to play Tamori, who's quicker at the back, um, because when you've got someone who's, who's that quick, it means you can play with a higher line. But... Uh, you know, their form in 2021 has been up and down. You know, I mean, they've lost five games already. They were, as I mentioned, um, pretty lucky against Red Star. Needed uh, Donnarumma to make a really good save uh, in the second leg at uh, San Siro. Um, so it, it depends, really. If, if we see more of the Milan that we saw on Sunday night against Roma, then, yeah, it should be a, should be a really fun tie. Um, but that so far, I'd say in 2021, has been more the exception uh, than the rule. Mm. Rafa, no German sides after Hoffenheim and Bayer Leverkusen were knocked out by Mulder and Young Boys respectively. Uh, much reaction in Germany or is nobody that bothered? I think because of the two clubs in question, the reaction was was not that dramatic. But it is now 24 years since Germany last um, had a club that won the old UEFA Cup stroke Europa League. And I think... There's a sense of delusion um, among German fans or, or even the media who keep pretending to themselves that German clubs for some reason don't want it enough. That The reason that they're not doing better is because they don't take the competition seriously. Now, they might be right in one or two incidents, but I don't think that can explain why we haven't seen better results. I think there is something else missing apart from the right mentality. And I wish it would be discussed a bit more, but it doesn't seem to get much traction. Mm. Well, Moldo go on to play Granada, who knocked out Napoli. 
That was very impressive because Granada had so many players injured in that very game, during the game, and they still managed to to get the result their way. So really, they've got at the minute 11 players in the sidelines, and they are still competitive. I mean, they've got 33 points in the league. Yes, they are conceding a lot of goals, but they beat Napoli and. Uh, you have to give them some credit because it's the first time that they are in this stage of the Europa League. So I would say that the last two seasons of Granada, they've been probably two of the best seasons in their in their history. It's really impressive what they are doing. Perhaps quite a good draw for them as well and their chances of getting into the, the quarterfinals. Arsenal uh, taking on Olympiacos again. Of course, Olympiacos knocked Arsenal out of this competition in the last 32 last season. Jules... If you remember as well, the uh, the huge miss by Aubameyang right at the end, almost the last kick of the game, that would have sent Arsenal through. So there's there's revenge for Arsenal. I think there, there might be personal revenge from Aubameyang as well. It's very impressive uh, that the Europa League is offering uh, Spurs, Arsenal, Manchester United. I'm talking about the English clubs because they've got uh, uh, really big squads. The chance to resurrect some players that uh, seem to be gone. like For example, the likes of Dele Alli or uh, Emile Smith-Road at Arsenal, uh, a player who started the, you know, making the headlines in the Europa League. So I think that the Europa League for some English clubs uh, with such a big squad is becoming like a, a competition that is worth playing just because you can give quality time to some players that otherwise they wouldn't play much. And, uh, and yeah, uh, some of those players that they make a point in the Europa League and they, they show that they have the, the quality, then they end up playing in the league. This is not happening, for example, with Villarreal or with Granada, who have a shorter squad, but with the Premier League clubs, it's happening. Hmm. I'm sure uh, UEFA are delighted that the Europa League has become a, <laughs> a reserve competition for... <laughs> Wait till the Conference League starts. <laughs> yeah. A League Cup. Spurs with Dinamo Zagreb. Jose Mourinho, of course, has, has managed Europa League sides in two previous uh, editions of the competition, and he's won both of them. I was with Porto and Man United. He's always respected this competition. Well, always. Mm. What, what about Slavia Prague, who put out Leicester? Who saw that one? Rafa, I know you were on highlights duties. Jules, you did yeah, as well. Yeah, I saw the highlights. I mean, there weren't many highlights because Leicester created almost, almost nothing over both legs, and Slavia Prague were very defensively solid. They took their chance and Leicester did nothing to suggest that they should have qualified. It wasn't a huge upset. It was just Leicester playing very badly. And with them, you do query, you know, going back to our previous discussion, whether that competition really was a priority for them uh, regarding how the season is going. I mean, the Champions League is, is within their reach and it might be easier to do that via the league rather than to win the Europa League, but still, it was a very, very poor performance all round from them. Jules, what do you think about Slavia's chances against Rangers? Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game, considering that, for example, both clubs are still unbeaten in their own leagues, which is pretty, a pretty incredible achievement. And and for Slavia, they've got this um, young Senegali striker, Abdallah Sima, who has an incredible story, who's only 19, who scored the second goal against Leicester, who's been really good this season for them uh, who used to play in France 5th division then went to to uh, the Czech Republic played in the 3rd division and was picked up by Slavia there to play for the reserve but he was so good that he's already being the, the star of their team in the first team and very soon I think he's going to sign to a much bigger club in one of the on, of the big leagues so well done to them for, for 
scouting him and, and finding him, but certainly he looks like he's got a lot of talent. So Rangers will have to be really worried. And Slavia Praga, they are a very good team as well. I mean, last season, uh, Barcelona couldn't get anything but a draw in there. Uh, when Ernesto yeah, Barcelona, was the manager. Yeah. And uh, I remember that... Uh, <laughs> Two seasons ago, they kick out Sevilla from the Europa League. And they haven't changed their squad so much. I mean, they haven't sold so many players, too, that I can remember. Uh, one of them being Thomas Sousek, uh, who plays now for West Ham United. But uh, this is a very good European team, Slavia Prague. Yeah. Seriously. So far as well came from Slavia. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Just a quick one. There was some lovely scenes. I don't know how many uh, of you, dear fellow pod members, or indeed dear listeners, you saw that. But Slavia Praha teammates were celebrating with um, Suchek, Thomas Suchek, who was on a Zoom call wearing the Slavia Pra um, shirt and um, it was lovely. Well, if it's heartwarming tales you're after, Rafa, you can't say fairer than the Turkish Super League where it's all kicking off. We're going to get an update on that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Turkey, the Super League, it's never been hotter, with global football star Mesut Ozil now shining among the ranks of Fenerbahce. A very tight title race, and uniquely, the owners of the broadcast rights are suing one of the football teams, Fenerbahce. To tell us more about what on earth is going on, it's Yuri Amali of Neutral Kaikas and ESPN. Hi, Yuri. Hi, James. All right, then. Listen, uh, always exciting to get a catch-up on events in the Super League where it's tight at the top, three teams in three points, Kalatasaray, Besiktas, and then Fernabashi, who now have Mesut Ozil, of course, in their ranks. That yes. hasn't coincided with any great success for Fener, though. Uh, no, the last couple of weeks uh, didn't went so well. And the most surprising thing this season is that they're losing a lot at home. And the impact of Mesut hasn't been that great. I think that's also not a big surprise if you look when he, uh, when his last uh, match fitness was at Arsenal. So he needs some time. But uh, I don't really think he was the most important uh, player or position to get, to be honest. Interesting, because this is a club with significant debts. Who Am I right in saying had to actually do a bit of a fundraising appeal to... to to meet the costs of bringing him over from Arsenal. Yeah, it's it's a really, really uh, fishy <laughs> transaction. Uh, he's not getting paid for this season and he will get uh, three million a year for the next coming three years. So in the in the uh, finance uh, financial year report, it will be like uh, he made some profit because the people have paid a lot of money during like a telethon something or uh, uh, sending messages uh, for paying him, actually. <laughs> so the members of the public basically had to dig into their own pockets to finance this move for a player who's actually not having much impact with them. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So um, it's not the only uh, curious story going on with Fenerbahce at the moment, who have slipped from first place to third and got knocked out of the Turkish Cup since uh, Meza arrived. 
Mm-hmm. Also, there's this incredible story uh, that they're about to be sued by being sports. Yes, it's it's yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's it's, it's like a small thing to call it. They are uh, going public because they think they are not being judged fair. Uh, so uh, when whenever there's a far decision, they they will come with their own footage of the of the game and put it into computers to show it wasn't offside or it was offside, and they're like really firing it up. And finally, being said something about it, and they're now suing them. Uh, and it's it's a real big problem, I think, for the Turkish football because Bian gives a crazy amount of food, of, of money to uh, to buy the rights, and I don't think without being uh, there are not much people in line to get the rights of them, especially for this kind of, of of money. So if they start a war, it will be really terrible for all the Turkish teams in the next few years. So Fenerbahce had alleged that. Bian were editing highlights to make them look bad, and also, did they suggest that Bian had manipulated VAR decisions against them? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, the, some supporters, I think, online figured out that there's a, a woman working there, and she used to work at Galatasaray, Hande Sumertaj, and mm. they're, they're pointing their finger at that being the uh, the decision maker of the whole company of Bian, and it's it's like really crazy. But uh, they've led by uh, Aziz Yildirim for like 20 years or something. He was the big uh, owner of the club, and the next in line that became uh, Ali Koç. He's from a really, really, really rich family. So he wanted to change everything and he's fighting everything. But the success is not coming. Since he came, uh, it's only going downhill. So, yeah, they're just trying everything that they can bring up. And, and they, this is not only for Fenerbahce, but for all Turkish football, like a bump on the league. Mm. So Fenerbahce running around in Be Fair T-shirts. Yeah, T-shirts, uh, yeah. Sl- slight restyling of the BN logo. And uh, with that on their advertising boards around the uh, around the, the pitch, and BN are, are now suing them for uh, basically uh, violating their intellectual property. And, and yes. as you say, reconsidering whether they're going to reinvest in actually buying the, uh, the TV rights in Turkey, which could have massive repercussions for the league as a whole. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Funny time uh, if you look at that, but for for example, the whole league is uh, really hard to watch at the moment because this season we have 21 teams, but all of them they 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 find that they are uh, uh, unfair uh, done by the by the by the refs. For example, every week all the social media is full full with messages like "Why did you go to the far? Why did you get to the far?" And it's really hard for uh, uh, people who love to watch just football to uh, stay in touch with this with this league at the moment. Thank goodness for Fabio Borini then. Fabio Borini, Fabio Borini koridoru buldu. Shoot mükemmel gol! Fabio Borini. Yes, if he recovers from his injury then it will be great again. All oh, right, is he got injured then? Yeah, he's got injured. Oh no way because he he was the he was a surprise success story, you know. Uh, five goals in seven with uh, Fatih Karim Gumruk. Yeah, Fatih Karagumruk is like a really, yeah, uh, I don't know how they have done it this season. You have Lucas Biglia, you have Lucas Castro, Ervin Zukanovic. They all came from like out of nowhere and, and they're like seventh or sixth in the league. And they're, uh, yeah, they're really showing off uh, uh, that you can surprise in the Turkish league. But in the end, the top three will always be the top three, I think. All right, well, we shall see. Jordi, thank you so much for that update and look forward to catching up with, with you soon. Yes, let's do that. Have a great uh, show, uh, James. Yordi Yamali. Rafa. 
You ready for some Bundesliga chat? I know I am. Let's start with the huge news. Uh, Schalke gate, Christian Gross fired. Uh, they're now on to their fifth manager of the season. Oh, my word. Yeah, and they still have got 11 games to go. So maybe we'll see a sixth and a seventh. Um, there is still time. Yeah, it didn't come as a huge surprise because before that 5-1 defeat at Stuttgart, a a triumvirate of players had gone to the superiors of Christian Gross and complained about his methods, saying tactical instructions, not very clear, training, very old-fashioned. He confuses languages and names. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> and their wish was not heeded because Gross was still in in charge for the Stuttgart defeat. But the next day, the supervisory board pulled the plug, not just on him, but also on the sporting director, who was going to leave anyway at the end of the season, uh, an assistant coach, the team manager, and the head of performance, who had also fallen out with some of the players over his fitness regime and lots of injuries, etc. So a huge cull, not enough to save Schalke because... They have no realistic prospect of coming back, but perhaps the right one to create some space for new people to take over mm. and start the rebuild because Schalke need need a proper clear out from, from top to bottom. And I think there was a real danger that this season would just totally disintegrate, not just in a sporting sense, but produce so many negative headlines and be so damning and damaging uh, about the Schalke brand that it would have made it much more difficult to attract a new manager and uh, and new players. So managing that that decline is going to be just as important, I think, as then getting ready for the rebuild. So this will be their first relegation since 1988. How big a hit will it be for them? It's a huge hit for them because they have 200 million euros of debt. And they will probably have to half the cost of the squad, which I think is around 60 million. So down to 30, which is not a lot, really, in COVID times. So, yeah, it's pretty bad. There's also a suggestion that some of their biggest sponsorship deals, you know, Gazprom, we light the football, light up the football, etc. That their sponsorship deal is not valid for Bundesliga 2, which would cost them another 20 million euros, possibly. So it is quite quite bad. I think the the club has such a big emotional pull and such a huge support base, far beyond the city of Gelsenkirchen, that they will avoid the fate of of the likes of Kaiserslautern or 1860 Munich who've gone completely broke uh, and been lost in obscurity. But that rebuild with mostly young and cheap players is, is going to be it's going to be more difficult, I think, than perhaps they anticipate. We we only have to look at Hamburg, who might finally go up, but who have had a really hard time, Bundesliga 2, to see that this is not going to be an automatic rebound, but could still be quite fraught and difficult for them. Dr. Wei Chun Lo asks, which one will happen first? Schalke promoted back to Bundesliga or a Bundesliga winner other than Bayern Munich? What do you think, Rafa? Well, a Bundesliga winner other than Bayern Munich is is possible. I think it's it's more possible than than Schalke 
coming back immediately because it'll at least take two years. Um, so, you know, the gap is only two points at the top right now with Bayern having won against Köln quite comfortably and Leipzig coming back in very impressive fashion after mm. 2-0 deficit against Gladbach. But here's the kicker. I mean, Bayern are still to play Leipzig and Bayern are playing Dortmund next week. A Dortmund team that look much improved ever since they beat hotly tipped Seville in the Champions League they've looked a very very different side uh, much more confident much more composed the balance is right between attack and defense some individuals have turned up Jaden Sancho is is in really fine form again he had an outstanding game so things could be very different when we next catch up on okay. the spot they've, on Tuesday. They've uh, won three out of three in all competitions since announcing that Marco Rosa would be taking over there in the summer, coming in from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Gladbach, by contrast, have lost three and three since announcing that Marco Rosa was leaving for Borussia Dortmund. This weekend, as you say, that Leipzig game was tremendously exciting. Gladbach had gone 2-0 up for the second uh, straight time in this fixture, only to let that that well that most dangerous of leads slip. Uh, the commentator is going quite bonkers at the end. Wow! Yeah, two 0 down to two two, and then in the last moment of the game, Alex uh, off shotgun with the win. Bayern Munich five one winners over Cologne. A word for Lewandowski, who scored two more goals in this game. He's now up to 28. He's got 11 matches to reach the Magic 40 mark. Gerd Müller's record set back in 1972. Rafa, we've seen him come close before. Could this be the time? It could well be the time. Uh, you feel that in lockdown, defences are even perhaps more amenable to him than they were before with the lack of the energy in the crowd, etc. for some of those lesser teams proving perhaps more more important and for Bayern. There is so much quality around him. Uh, Serge Gnabry's back, which I think really helps. Thomas Müller's back, which really helps after his um, corona quarantine. So it is eminently possible. Recent seasons, sometimes he had little injuries and just two or three games was enough not to make the 40. I think if he can stay fully fit, then yes, it's, it's definitely possible. Only one question on Leipzig, uh, if I may. Uh, I would like to know how likely it is that this club becomes or establishes itself as one of the, let's say, 15th richest clubs in the world. Because apparently they've got the potential there. Obviously, there are some uh, this 49-51 distribution in the Bundesliga and the ownership. But we always talk about how strong they are financially. And uh, I want to know if they can step up, actually, and get themselves to the level of at least Borussia Dortmund financial level it's going to be difficult because Borussia Dortmund have a lot of commercial income and commercially Leipzig are a bit of a non-entity of course their sponsor provides a lot of income their sponsor de facto owner uh, Red Bull but beyond that they don't have the same kind of pull that Bayern or Dortmund have uh, when it comes to selling shirts when it comes to sponsors being excited about being associated with a team if anything RB are a brand themselves. So if you are another brand, you know that you're not going to be able to disassociate the club from 
the Red Bull label. So it makes it more difficult for other labels to become part of the, the story. Of course, the commercial income um, is a different story through than the sporting income. You know, as long as they qualify for the Champions League and go deep again, then yes, there is money to be made. The stadium is is sold out always. And of course, one business, one big part of the business model is selling players. And if they can continue to do that, then they will make up the ground. But I think catching up with Bayern and even Dortmund is going to be really, really difficult for those for those seasons. And, you know, this year is, is a good example because... They've already lost lost Upamecano. I think they're very likely to lose uh, Ibrahim Konate as well because he also has a release clause. Sabitzer might leave. Um, there's a lot of interest in a lot of players, and it's going to be tough for them to keep them all. So, and even Nagelsmann as well, no? I think Nagelsmann, they will try absolutely everything to make him stay. He doesn't have a release clause, as far as I know. They've told everyone already, you know, don't bother even coming to us in the summer. He's not gonna, he's not gonna leave. But of course, he will be in, in hot demand. Um, and you know, keeping a coach against his will is is not gonna be, it's not gonna be easy. Not impossible, but not gonna be easy. So yeah, it's it's difficult for them because they've established themselves as the third best team in Germany. But being the third best club, I think it's going to be more difficult in the long run. Well, as it stands, they could just end up being the, the best team in the Bundesliga in a couple of months' time. Two points between them and Bayern Munich. Woof. All right, well, next up, it's time to check in on the most exciting title race in all of Europe. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. C'est parti pour Mili Arcadios Milik L'OM revient dans cet Olympico All right then, Jules. Yes, of course, it's Ligue 1, where the top four are separated by four points. Lille, who drew 1-1 with Strasbourg. PSG, who won 4-0 at Dijon. Lyon, who drew 1-1 at Marseille in the Olympico. And Monaco who continued their incredible unbeaten run with a 2-0 victory against Brest. Woof. Let's hear about Marseille-Lyon. Jules. Yeah, the Olympico, the 101st Olympico in, in history. We know this for a lot of their fans. This is the biggest game now because the Marseille-PSG one is too unbalanced. The Lyon-Saint-Etienne is too unbalanced for the same reason. So the Lyon-Marseille is actually a really good one. And we saw that again with even without the fans. On, on Sunday night, it was a it was a big game because Lyon dropped two two points, two big points, and they also lost Lucas Paqueta, who got sent off uh, in the second half and is going to miss the the next game for two yellows. Marseille, they're hoping that they see the end, uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel because, as you know, it's been a, a very complicated few weeks for them. On on Friday, they decided to finally part ways with with their president, Jacques Henri Hero, who's been a dead man walking. We knew that and a complete disaster since since he got the job. 
But what was maybe more surprising is who they replaced him with because Pablo Longoria, who was the sporting director, who would never have a, a position as a president before and who's only 34 years of age, um, took the job. And I think it was one, really brave for him. Two, it might just be for a short amount of time and then maybe there'll be a new owner. They might sell the club and he might go back to do what he does really well, which is being a sporting director. But for now, at least... He will be both a president and a sporting director, which I'm not sure is very easy. And then obviously the news that Jorge Sampaoli is the new manager and he will arrive today in Marseille on Tuesday and be in charge for, not really for the, for the midweek uh, league game, but more for the, for the uh, French Cup one in the weekend. Okay. What else most excited you about the weekend? Was it PSG's whopping 4-0 win over Dijon? That's the sixth time this season the Parisians have scored four or more goals in a league game. Was it Monaco taking their unbeaten run to 13 games with a 2-0 victory against Brest or was it the 1-1 draw between Lille and Strasbourg or something else? Martin Terrier's goal perhaps for Rennes. Yeah, although Rennes lost their manager, Julien Stéphane, who had been so good for them, taking them to winning the French Cup for the first time in what, 50 years, qualifying them for the Champions League this year, although they were not really good, but still it was the first time ever they qualified for the Champions League. They they on really bad runs, so he... he um, he resigned on Monday morning yesterday and it'd be interesting to see who replaces him. A lot of people are hoping that someone like Marcelo Gallardo, for example, the former Monaco and, and PSG player who's done such an amazing job at River and I think who's waiting or awaiting a chance in Europe somewhere, uh, that, that it could be great. A lot of other people fear that it could be Bruno Genesio coming back uh, after, after his time in China and uh, what he did in Lyon because he's a very divisive uh, personality and, and character. But for, for PSG, it was a good win because Dijon are not very good. So let's put the end to that. Two goals for Kylian Mbappé and he was happy. And and we saw the, the debut for a 17-year-old called Edouard Michou, who I think has got, has got a great future ahead of him. Pleased to meet you. Pleased yeah. to meet you, exactly. Who, by the way, on, uh, on Monday morning, after he made his debut, the players decided to... Uh, to shave his head as, a, as an initiation for making his debut, which is, is, is pretty funny. Uh, and, and for Monaco, you know, the great thing about Monaco is that, that we've said before, Niko Kovac is doing a great job, but they were, they were drawing with, with Brest. They, lost, they, missed, they missed a penalty. They had loads of chances and, and Lassoner in goal was being really good. But he's just that they brought Fabregas on and Jovetic on and Diata on and all those great players because they've got such an amazing squad that eventually, late on, they made a big difference and they won that game. And I think the five substitution is a big help for, for Kovac because of all those players that he has on the bench that he can bring on, uh, which is something that, for example, Christophe Galtier doesn't have in Lille. And they kind of lucky, really, to get a point. And even Galtier said it was a miracle that they got, that they got a point. Uh, and... I think for now, they're still, they're still leading the league, but they will have to be very careful because, as we said, there's a lot of games in between those four teams to decide who's going to be the winner. Who's your money on, Jules? I still think PSG is, I would say, 40% PSG and then 20% for all, all the others because I still think they've got the experience, they've got the best squads, so, but they also play in Europe. <laughs> so, I think 40, 20, 20, 20 is pretty good. Oh, I see. Each one of the others gets 20%, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Well, the idea, James, is to have everybody on 100%, right? No, I, I, we're, so, we're very much... Agreed on that. 20. Yeah. yeah, you missed a few. For the other 19 teams. The other yeah. 19 teams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I, for one, am 100% excited to see how this one turns out, assuming they they allow the season to finish this time around in France. Of course, we will be back 
next Tuesday. Looking forward by then to another round of Champions League fixtures, second legs. And of course, rounding up all the action that happens in, in between. Two whole rounds, actually, of City A fixtures between now and then. Do hope you enjoy your football in the meantime. And many, many thanks to Alvaro, to Rafa, to James and to Jules and you, listener. We'll catch up with you in seven. But now from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.